you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. You know, there's a, a passage of Scripture. One of the key characters of the Bible, his name is Jacob, and there's this point where he, he shows up and God shows up, and he says, what a place is this? None other than the house of God. And, and I think that's where we are right now, in this moment. Wherever you are, whether you're in the studio audience or you're watching online, this is the house of God, and that means that God is here, and when Jesus shows up, anything is possible. And I just hope and pray that for those of you that are watching, maybe on your phone or through YouTube, streaming live on your TV, or maybe in the studio audience, we'll we'll open the door of our heart and just give God permission to do what he wants to do. Can I get an amen? Come on, type amen in the chats. Come on, shout amen, studio audience, come on. Man, I'm excited, and for those of you that are new, that are tuning in, those of you that are new with us tonight, my name is Carrie, and I'm one of uh, the cooler pastors. No, I'm one of the pastors here at the Movement Church, and man, I, I can honestly tell you, it's an honor that you're here with us. It's an honor that you're tuning in. My wife and I, uh, we, we had the privilege of leading this church, and I just want to tell you, I love this church. I love you. I, I love what God is doing here. It's the greatest privilege and honor of my life. I, I, I was born for this, not, not to be awesome, but to be around awesome people like you, and I, I just love what God's doing. And if you are new, maybe you're kicking the tires. I know how it works. You kind of date this thing. Do you, do you like the church, not like the church? Are you shopping around? You're watching multiple churches. You're like probably swiping through to Elevation Church, and, and that's so fine. Come on right back to us. And listen, we, we love that. But let me just tell you, you need to know a little bit of something about who we are. Like, like in a world that is full of people who, who, who are fake, not, not you and not your friends, the other people, you know what I'm talking about? In a world full of people who get caught up in the pettiness and the drama, I, I was actually studying for this message and like three different news tickers came on my screen from both CNN and Fox that was talking about what Prince Harry was going to wear to the funeral. And I was like, who cares? Obviously people do. And I just think, man, it's so easy to get caught up in living a small life and full of the pettiness and the drama. And I just want you to know, if you're new and shopping for churches, one of the values that we own is that we fight for authenticity. In a world full of pettiness and drama, that's a challenging cultural dynamic. Fighting for authenticity is that I'm going to be the fullness of who I am, and I just beg you to be the fullness of who you are. And that means that, that, that some parts of me are, are raw and uncut and not pretty and not exciting. And I would venture to guess that probably parts of you are, are just that maybe some stories of your past, some places that you've been, some choices you made are probably not pretty either. But when we choose to be authentic, to fight for authenticity, to be just who we really are, I believe God does something miraculous in the midst of that. Fighting for authenticity means that sometimes I'm going to make you mad. And when I do, you got to come tell me about it. And I'm going to tell you how you're wrong. And then, we'll, no, I'm kidding. And sometimes you're going to make me mad. And i got to tell you about it. Why? Because that's what authentic people do is we deal with the junk. Instead of being fake about it and then going and talking about just junk. And one of the ways that we do that is in connect groups. And, and that's just where 
we, we gather in smaller groups of people, and we're, we're just real in, in the midst of the, the successes and the failures and, and the imperfections and the perfections, and nobody's got it all figured out, and we're just trying to take one step towards becoming the people God's created us to be. And man, if you're not in a connect group, man, you're missing out. That's where God does the greatest work, is in small groups of people. I am in a group every other Thursday, and man, it's the most challenging. We challenge each other, and we encourage each other. One of the guys in my group, his father suddenly passed away a few weeks ago. We mourned with him. We grieved with him, and we prayed with him, and then we celebrate the successes of job promotion. Man, I'm just telling you, that this is the life you want to live, and it's available. If you're kicking the tires, checking things out, man, why don't you just plant for a while? Give authenticity a try and jump into a group. I think you might find you kind of like it. I mean, I think we might find we, we kind of like you too. But I'm excited to talk to you about this series called PTSD. Everybody say PTSD. PTSD. Now, I know you know what that means. It stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. So what I, I don't want to do is downplay PTSD. In fact, when you, when you talk to psychologists and psychiatrists, there's a big difference between big T trauma and little T trauma. Big T trauma is actual or threatened violent death. It's serious injury or accident or sexual violence. Little T drama is highly distressing events that don't meet the criteria for trauma but still affect the person. So what I'm not trying to do is compare the two, nor am I trying to compare the crisis that you have walked through as a person. What I'm here to talk about is the fact that the last 12 months have been a little bit cray-cray. There's been some distress. Can I get an amen from some people who've experienced some distress? Not once, but twice, maybe three times a lady, but let's move on. Two of you, that's it. A couple of the older generation, you got that. And the series... It's about identifying that in the wake of crisis, how we respond actually matters. The series is PTSD, and it stands for Post-Traumatic Strength Development. Turn to somebody and say, that was clever. Post-Traumatic Strength Development. How do we win the war in our mind and not just survive the past 12 months, but actually thrive. Not just make it. We're there. No, but actually to thrive. We're pulling content from a great book by an awesome pastor named Craig Rochelle. We're pulling from a great book by an author named Jesus called The Scripture. And and in fact, look at what this, that was a lot funnier than the studio audience laughed. Just throwing that out there. Online family, be a little more courteous to me. Throw some laughter in the chats. Look at what the scripture says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. This is Paul. We're going to pull from Paul. He's writing on, on a regular basis in this series. Look at what he says. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it by my own, but one thing I do. Turn to your neighbor and say, one thing I do. Turn to your second choice say, no, I'm not saying it. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to dismiss pain or dismiss crisis or tell you just forget about it. What I'm suggesting is that God has a great future for us and how we navigate, how we process the distress, the challenges, 
actually matters. And I believe if we'll lean into the series, that we can develop some strength that'll help us not just survive, but actually thrive. Can we pray? Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads all across the room, everywhere you're at, unless you're watching while driving, please keep your eyes open. But let's pray and ask God to do something miraculous. God, we just thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're up to something big. We thank you that you, in your infinite mercy, in your infinite wisdom, know exactly where every single one of us are. You know what we're walking through, the challenges that we're facing, the struggles that are real. You know when we, when we really are up against something huge or when we have allowed something small to become something huge and you love us in the midst of all of us. So God, we just look to you right now and ask you to help us as we navigate the past 12 months and, and not just survive, but God, to truly thrive. As we develop the strength that you've created us to walk with. In Jesus' mighty and precious name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Well, listen, I don't know, for those of you that may, may not know me very well or are new to the church uh, my wife and I were youth pastors for about 12 years, which in dog years is like 77 years. And that means we worked with teenagers. And I mean, I loved it, but it was challenging at times. And early on in our career as youth pastors, there was a time where my wife and I were going out of town for a week. So we asked two senior guys to come and stay at our house and watch our dogs. Not a great idea, but still, nonetheless, we, we mildly trusted these guys. And and also, they had girlfriends as well. And I know the angst and the tension that builds up in the life of a, uh, an adolescent minor and, and the, the, the passions and the desires. And I said, listen to me. While you're watching my house, no one of the opposite sex may ever at any moment of any second of any day cross across the threshold of my home. And if they do, I will take you out to a field bury you alive, drive home, perform the service for your funeral, and hold your mom as she weeps. Do you understand me? And they said, yes, Pastor Carrie. And I said, I just want to help seal the deal for you. I've hidden not one but two cameras in my house. One, I will not tell you where it is. The other is just up there, hidden in a fake tree, showing the front door of my home. And if any girl crosses the threshold, I will drive you out to a field. Let me reiterate this. Bury you alive. Drive home. Comfort and console your mom while she weeps. Do the eulogy and talk about how you're a great person and you will be dead. Do you understand? This like white ghostly look crosses over their face and I knew that this worked. And of course, as you probably know, there were no cameras. This was like 2002. I didn't have like a ginormous camera to hide in a vent in my house. And a week goes by, we're on vacation. I come back and I said, hey, sit down, Michael Whittle and Jeff Havens, just in case you're watching. Before I review the tape, that's back in the, y'all know what tape is? Before I review the tape, I'm going to give you a chance to be honest with me. Did any of your girlfriends cross the threshold? No, Pastor Carrie, I promise they did it. They came three different times and knocked on the door, one at time at 1 a.m., and we said, get out of here right now. We forced them to leave. We were terrified that you were going to see. They didn't come across the threshold, and I said, I'm proud of you. Go in peace. <laughs> it's a true story, and, and what's interesting about the story is 
uh, it worked. So, you know, encouragement. No, listen, I'm not suggesting that you lie, but what I am suggesting is that my lie kept them in a prison of purity. Can I get an amen from somebody right now? And I just want to encourage you that often perception, let me say it like this, perception rarely is reality. Often we are trapped in a self-made prison. If we buy into the lies and believe it as truth, the lies actually begin to hold us back. But if we can identify it as a lie, like an operable tumor, then we can actually remove its power in our life. That's what this series is about. Freedom, my friends, is as simple as removing the lie and replacing it with truth. I know that sounds so simple, and it almost sounds dismissive if we think about it, and that's because the struggle is real. It's difficult. The lies that, 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 that are whispered in the quietness and the confines of our mind, it, it seems impossible at times. In fact, it feels like a war, and that's because it is. It's an actual war. The struggle whether or not to believe the lies. It's a battle like the Spartans versus the Persians in Thermopylae. If you maybe have read history or seen the movie, and the Persians, an army of 300,000 against 300 Spartans. They're, they're backed up in Thermopylae, this small gate that was the gateway to, to Sparta and to Greece. And 300,000 against 300, and it seemed nigh impossible. This battle raged and waged for days, and it was huge catastrophe. Catastrophe? Catastrophe, thank you, Pastor Joe. Catastrophic and casualties of epic proportion until finally the Persians learned of a secret passageway. And the Spartans found themselves surrounded, which ultimately led to their death. And the battle that we're up against is every day. But it's not a battle that we see in the natural. It's not a battle that we experience where we can feel it and see it and touch it. This, this battle is in our mind. And it's against the host of Satan's army. And, and here's the challenge. He knows the secret passageways of your life. He, he knows the secret passageways of your life. He knows your worst insecurities. The, the things that you, you hate about yourself. The camera angles you don't love. And you take the picture from way up here. Can I get an Amen. He knows your greatest fears, the ones that you try to cover up and you hope no one ever finds out. He knows the secret passageways, and and he knows your embarrassing failures. The challenge is he's using it against you every day, every day. The question is, do you realize it? That's the challenge is, do, do you realize it? Ephesians 6 12, which is a a book in the New Testament, which was written by a man named Paul with the influence of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. Paul, one of the greatest apostles ever, in fact, probably the greatest world changers ever to walk the earth except for Jesus. And and literally, he sits down to pen these words because he knew we would struggle with this. He knew there was this battle that we were constantly facing on a daily basis. He knew that the enemy knew the secret passageways, and he realized and knew that there would be times when we wouldn't believe it's really a battle. And he said in Ephesians 6, verse 12, 
Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, listen, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our minds are a war zone, and we must be aware of it. Why? Because you cannot change what you do not confront. You cannot change what you do not confront. Can I just encourage you that your adversary is not your spouse? Your adversary is not your boss. Your adversary is not your child. Your adversary is not your ex. Your adversary is not that crazy neighbor who's down the street that you don't ever want to see ever again. Your adversary is the devil, Bobby Boucher. Your adversary, listen, is Satan. And isn't it interesting that in our culture, in our media, that any time the devil is depicted, he's depicted as something silly. He's depicted as something meaningless. He's depicted as something insignificant. I actually believe this is a ploy and a tactic of the enemy. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he does not exist. That he does not exist. We get caught up in fighting our spouse and our friends and our boss and our neighbor. And really we're wrestling against the powers of darkness. The greatest trick he ever pulled was convincing the world he does not exist. And he has a strategy. And his strategy is that he lies. The Bible says he's the father of lies. The father of lies. What he does is he plants seeds of doubt and confusion and worry and depression and anxiety. And then he uses the passageways, the secret passageways of our past hurts and wounds. And he waters the seeds of doubt and anxiety and worry and fear, and they grow continually in our life. How does he do this? He lies. He lies. So what does it look like? Well, maybe you, you, you take a risk and you start a business or you're up for a promotion and you've got a big project that you're working on or you're trying to sell a certain number of houses or finish a big project and you succeed. He comes in in the quietness of what actually sounds like our own voice and he whispers things like, maybe it's truth that you don't really need God because you did this on your own. Or if you fail, he'll convince you that you'll always be a failure. Or if you're generally a good person, he convinces you that you don't necessarily need God's grace. Or if you sin, he'll convince you that God could never possibly love you. And he uses the secret passageways of your past hurts, failures, and wounds. He's a liar. You know, the, the famous magician Harry Houdini was known for... Uh, when he would go into new cities to perform a show, he had this marketing ploy where he would go to the jail or the local prison and he would go in and ask the warden or the, the jail uh, the guy who, who's leading the, the prison to lock him into a jail cell. And then Harry Houdini would work his magic and pick the lock and release himself within minutes. And he would do this town after town, city after city, and build up this like anticipation for his magic show in the evening. Well, one jailer heard that Houdini was coming. He got wise to the scheme, and when Houdini came in, 
the jailer secretly turned the lock in the opposite direction. And Houdini locked himself in the jail cell over and over and over again and finally gave up and could not free himself. And the jailer revealed his truth. Houdini had believed a lie, and the lie had held him captive. I want to just encourage you with this, that a lie believed as truth will affect my life as if it is the truth. A lie believed as truth will affect my life as if it's true. Can I encourage you for a moment? You are not his prisoner of war. You are not a victim of your own mind. Hey, listen to me. You are not who others say that you are. Let me say that again. You are not his prisoner of war. You are not a victim of your own thoughts. Listen to me. You are not who others say that you are. Do you know what the word of God says about you? Do you know what God's word, listen, God's word for you today, 1 Peter 2, 9, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. Listen, God's very own possession. That's God's word for you right here, right now. You are not his prisoner of war. You are not a victim of your own mind. You are not who others say you are. You are his very own possession. So what do we do? If perception is rarely reality, what, what do we do? I believe we've got to become a thought warrior. Turn to your neighbor and say a thought warrior. No, come on, say it like you mean it. Say a thought warrior. The, the, the Apostle Paul, the very one who, who penned these scriptures, struggled with the same things that we do. Think about this. One, the, the individual who wrote half of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, he wrote half of the New Testament, literally one of the greatest world changers to ever walk this planet, struggled with the same things that you and I. He fought the same battles in his mind that you and I do. The enemy knew the secret passageways of his mind as well. And early in his ministry, Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things that I should do, I just, I, I struggle things I know I'm supposed to do, I just, I just can't seem to do it. And the things that I shouldn't do, that I know aren't good for me, the things that I know I've, I should avoid, I should leave it alone, the things that I, I shouldn't get entangled in, and the, the drama I shouldn't deal with, and the problems I shouldn't be frustrated by, those things, man, I just repeat them over and over and over again. That's the Carrie paraphrase, but read Romans 7, it says the same thing. He talked about struggling with this battlefield in his mind. The very man who God used to shape the tenets of our faith. And the things that I want to do, I just, I can't seem to do it. And the things I should be avoiding, like the plague, I repeat it over and over. Have you ever been there? That's like my life. And I'm a pastor. I'm the guy, when I'm on a golf course, always by the third hole, guys say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they're like, I'm so sorry, I was cussing. And I'm like, well, repent three times, give me your golf score and your clubs, and you'll be okay. And I, I, I can relate to this part of Paul, but you know, when you look later on in his ministry, 
in Philippians chapter 4, something shifted. And look at what he says. He said, I have learned in whatever situation, I just got laid off at my job. I'm having to stay and shelter in place because of a virus that's going crazy. I'm struggling in a world there where racism is still a very major reality. My heart is breaking and I'm grieving. I've lost a loved one that I care desperately about. I'm struggling with, with deep insecurity. I'm struggling with overwhelming depression and anxiety. Paul's saying, I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is the same guy who said, I struggle to do what I'm supposed to do. And later in his life, he comes back and he says, I've learned that no matter what I face, I now know how to be content. How did he get here? How, how did he get to that place? How, how did he arrive at the conclusion where, where things had shifted? I, I believe that Paul knew two things, and I think you and I need these as well. Number one, the battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. It's not about whether or not you get that promotion. It's not about how much finances you have in an account right now. It's not about your heritage or your lineage or what you've accomplished or your accolades. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. And number two, your thoughts will control you, so you have to control your thoughts. You are not a victim of your own mind. Turn to somebody right now and say, you are not a victim of your own mind. We are in a war. And to win the war, we have to engage. Listen to me. No major war in any time in history was ever won by remaining neutral. We must engage. When America entered into World War II, we faced odds of epic proportion. And finally, the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy, where millions of landmines had been hidden underneath the soil. Guns were on top of cliffs, bombarding them. They were being bombed by airplanes all day and night. They faced horrible odds, but they knew if we don't engage, we will lose this war. And if we lose this war, the problems... The crisis will skyrocket, but they engaged, and many casualties took place. Many people lost their life, but eventually they won the war. Why? Because they engaged. If we're going to win the battle in our mind, if we're going to win the war, we must engage. The days of remaining neutral in the battle of our minds is over. We must engage. The Bible says that the lies we believed are called strongholds. Strongholds, the lies that you and I believe, the Bible says they're called strongholds, and the Bible tells us to demolish strongholds. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. It says this, the weapons that we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So the Bible's saying, listen, to win the battle in our mind, we've got to demolish the strongholds, the lies that we have begun to believe. Look at these words, the word stronghold in the original Greek. If you don't know this, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so the Greek word for stronghold literally means to fortify. And in biblical times, a stronghold 
was a fortress that was built on a hill, the highest point in the city. And it was reinforced by 20-foot thick walls. It was unapproachable and impenetrable. That's where the leaders and the political powers would go and hide in the midst of a battle because they felt safe in this place. And Paul compares the lies that we believe to those fortresses. Why? Because the lies have been reinforced over and over and over and over again. And we've believed them for so long that they've become part of us. We've assumed the lies as if they are our own identity. Why? Because a lie believed as truth will affect my life as if it's the truth. And if we're going to win the war in our minds, we have to demolish the stronghold. Look at the word demolish. In the Greek, it means destruction requiring power. Turn to your neighbor and say power. Destruction requiring power power. And here's the challenging part. You and I, we don't have the power to demolish these strongholds on our own, but the good news is this. The good news is God didn't set us up for failure. I think a lot of times people think that God loves us, but then he left us. No, God sets us up for success. He doesn't want us just to survive the last year. He wants us to thrive. Look at what Ephesians chapter 1 says. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Listen to the way that the writer writes this. I pray that you understand. It means the writer knows we're going to struggle with this. He's like, can't you get it? Just understand it. Every time we go to a foreign country, we take our kids. Our kids freak out about being out in public. They don't like to cross the street. They don't know what's going to happen. It's in a foreign country. They don't feel safe. And I'm like, hey, you're with me. I could beat everybody up. Don't you get it? I pray that you'll understand your daddy's got you. Now, do I believe that? No. The writer's saying, I pray you understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Listen, for us who believe him, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power is in us. God's given us the power to demolish the strongholds. So then what do we do? How do we navigate this? So if perception is rarely reality, and we've got to figure out what to do with this, we've got to actually become thought warriors, what do we do? Well, thank you for asking. We replace the lies with the truth. We replace the lies with the truth. And Paul shows us exactly how to do this. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 through 5, it says, the weapons we fight with, we just read this, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Listen to this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Look, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You are not a victim of your own mind. If Satan's primary weapon is lies, our greatest counterweapon is the truth of God's word. That's the reason we read the truth of God's word in every message, in every aspect of everything that we do, because our greatest counterweapon is the truth of God's word. So here's a question I have for you. So we bring this service to a conclusion, and I'm crushing my time map right now. Here's my question for you. What lies have you allowed to build a stronghold in your life? What what lies have you allowed to build a stronghold in your life? You can't defeat it if you can't define it. 
And the concept and the idea of a stronghold is the very notion that I've believed the lie so long that it's become a part of me. When, when, when Satan uses the secret passageways of our life and he wages war in our mind, he doesn't sound like a great demon. He doesn't show up like some crazy demonic beast. It sounds like my own thoughts. What, what lies have you allowed to become a stronghold? For, for me, it, it, it's always been that I'm not good enough. My whole life I've struggled with that. And every time I have a success, it was a good success, but it wasn't quite good enough. And every time that we faced failure, I was convinced it was my fault because if I had been better, maybe we wouldn't have failed. This is a stronghold that I have to fight every day. I don't mean years ago. I know I don't look it, but I don't even mean decades ago. I'm talking about like today. Like as I drove to this studio, preparing to preach this message, questioning whether or not I have a right to encourage people to wage war on the lies in their mind. Like, that's a reality. I told you we fight for authenticity here. What lies have you allowed to become a stronghold? Maybe it was something that a coach or a parent or a teacher or an aunt or an uncle said to you years ago. Maybe it was a failure. Well, what lies have you allowed to become strongholds? Does it divert you from your purpose? Then it's probably a lie. Does it distract you from hearing God's voice? It's, it's probably a lie. Does it destroy your potential? If we define the lie, we can declare the truth. We replace the lie with God's truth. And if we can define the lie, we can replace it with truth. So maybe for you, the plaguing problem is self-destructive habits. Maybe you have an, an issue with overeating. Or you're abusing alcohol or other substances. Or maybe you just find yourself constantly getting in another bad relationship. Perhaps if that's you, you have believed the lie that you need blank to relieve the stress and just to give you peace. So you believe the lie that if you, if you chase after another relationship, just convince that person to love you. Just, just, just I mean, why, why is this such a challenge for me? You, you just keep going from one relationship to the next relationship to the next. You, you've convinced yourself that if I'm in a good relationship, it'll relieve the stress and bring me peace. Or maybe you're chasing one substance or the next, trying to cope with the stress and the pressure of the world. You've believed the lie that if you just have more alcohol, more substance, more whatever it might be, it'll relieve the stress and bring peace. But it's a lie. And for many of you, it's become a stronghold. 
And it seems impenetrable, but let me tell you the truth. The truth is Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe you believe the lie that you're a victim and nothing good will ever happen to you. Well, let me tell you the truth. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Maybe you believe the lie that if God really knew the real me, he could never fully love me. Isn't it interesting? And it makes sense that the enemy knows the secret passageways to our lives, but we believe somehow that we have found a way to shield aspects of our life from our creator. And we think that if God really knew who I was, he would never love me. And I know that's a truth because one of the greatest daunting issues of people crossing the threshold of a church is that they think they've got to get good before they come to church. I gotta become presentable. I gotta get everything in order. I gotta get everything fixed up. Because if people really knew, if God really knew, He could never fully love me. It's become a stronghold. Listen to what the scripture says Psalm 139. And, and this is the voice of God penned thousands of years ago. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared beforehand before I'd even lived one day. Maybe the truth that you need to believe right now is that Jesus knows you and he chooses you. Like, think about this. It is impossible for Jesus to love you more than he does in this very moment. It's actually incomprehensible. For some of you in this room, some of you who are watching online, You need to believe the truth that Jesus chooses you. You you want to win the battlefield in your mind. You actually need to begin a journey with Jesus, a relationship with him. Not, Not religion, not church membership, not getting perfect, a relationship. And he did all the heavy lifting. He paid all the price. It doesn't cost us anything except simply to believe. Some of you need to begin that journey with Jesus today. Listen to me. Some of you who are watching and some of you who are in this room need to begin the journey again. I want to pray a prayer. And if you're here and you've never started this journey with Jesus or perhaps it's time to begin again, when I pray this prayer right where you're at, in the quietness of your heart or a small whisper, why don't you make this prayer your own? Would you do me a favor? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I want you to win the battlefield 
and the wars in your mind, but you need to begin with Jesus. And if that's you, just make this prayer your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you love me, that you chose me. I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And now make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.